Welcome to the Managing Violence Podcast, helping to make communities safer by providing education in how to prevent, prepare, respond, and recover from violence in all its forms. Your host is an expert in violence and aggression management. Here is Joe Saunders. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Violence Podcast. I know it's been a little bit of a couple of weeks between sips of this proverbial drink of managing violence expertise, but we are back again and uh, I'm here this episode with a very special guest with Aaron Molden. Uh, you may know Aaron from AS Solution, who is a, a, an executive protection company based in the US. Uh, you may also know him uh, from ZERT, which is uh, Z-E-R-T, the Zombie Emergency Response Team. It's a pre- uh, emergency preparedness training uh, organization. Uh, it's a bit of fun. Uh, lots of great content. If you're a ZERT fan, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If not, Google it. Uh, but I've got Aaron on to speak specifically about uh, executive protection. So uh, protecting individuals, whether it be celebrities, high net worth individuals, or even uh, even uh, diplomats and so on. Uh, he's done it all in that world. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. And we're also going to be talking about the lessons we can draw from executive protection for protecting our own loved ones or our own safety in uh, in everyday life. So it's a really interesting and fascinating conversation. Aaron's a wealth of knowledge, and I really enjoyed talking to him. So I hope you enjoy listening. Here is Aaron Molden. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show, Aaron. It's, it's great to have you here, man. And uh, thank you so much for persevering through some technological troubles to, uh, to get on the show. No problem. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, look, it's, it's great to have you here. It's, it's something that I've wanted to do for a little while is to, to have an episode talking a little bit about executive protection because I think there's uh, some tremendous learnings that, can, that come from the executive protection field that can be applied to personal protection in general. Uh, so I'm looking forward to exploring that with you. And uh, it's actually been uh, kind of useful that we've had uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, James Hamilton from Gavin DeVecker and Associates on the show. Uh, so we're now having you, we've got a different end of executive protection. So I'm sure the listeners will enjoy. That's going to uh, be a tough act to follow. James is uh, an amazing man. Yeah, he is. He is. It was a, it was a really fun show. <laughs> But uh, yeah, look, man, uh, look, for, for listeners that don't know much about you, can I uh, give the floor to you just to tell your story a little bit, how, how you ended up doing what you do, what it is that you do. And, uh, and yeah, man, just, just tell us a little bit about you. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, my name is uh, Aaron Molden. I'm the Executive Protection Operation and Training Manager for AS Solution, which is one of the um, biggest executive protection firms, in my opinion, globally. Um, I know we dominate uh, Northern Northern America. We have over 700 um, employees working in 97 countries from around the world, and we cater primarily to the Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 space. Um, how I got to AS is after serving some uh, time in the God-loving United States Marine Corps Infantry, um, I actually became a limo driver, transitioned from limo driver, started to find out what protection was about, uh, started going to some specialized schools to get on a uh, State Department contract doing high threat protections over in Iraq and Afghanistan. That basically merged into 14 years to date now, uh, working close protection, protective intelligence, surveillance detection, and uh, training operations on an international level for Fortune 100 companies, high, wet, high net worth individuals, uh, down to, uh, you know, A-list celebrities, uh, to even equestrian horses. Uh, as a training manager with AS Solution, uh, I am responsible for sustainment training for all of our agents. And how I got there is over the last probably 10 years, I've either implemented and ran over 300 training programs uh, globally. So training is a passion. It's something I've, I've been really, you know, embedded with for the last 10 years. And what that allows me to do is travel the globe and see how various teams from 
you know, from close protection, diplomatic protection, executive protection, celebrity protection, how they do things, what, uh, what techniques they have to be proactive versus reactive, et cetera. So I'm, I'm truly blessed to work the, the gambit of the protection field and have access to the, the biggest and brightest talent uh, globally. Yeah, man, that, that's a that's a tremendous uh, <laughs> that's a tremendous introduction. You talk about what you actually do. I mean, AS Solution is sorry, interesting, man. <laughs> no, look, it's great. Um, yeah, look, AS Solution uh, popped up on my radar a couple of years ago. I, I think uh, the first thing that grabbed my attention was the it, it was a very slick presentation. Uh, and having worked a little bit in that space, just just here in Australia, um, a lot of companies really. Uh, you know, they don't sell themselves very well uh, and they don't they don't present a very professional image from the outside looking in and that's one thing that uh, AS seems to have done really well from the beginning is they look like a serious player from the from the outside looking in and then obviously once your clients see you, then you, you follow through on that but uh, yeah that, that, that certainly caught my attention uh, when I when I first saw AS yes and in, in the way they are they approach you know our clients is Hard skills is a given. We all love training hard skills and a lot, when a lot of people try to come in, they focus on that. What we wanna focus on is employing agents with a level of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and are able to conduct themselves uh, properly and accordingly in a C-suite environment. So when it comes down to the principles and the client, they don't really care about your hard skills because that's a given. They just wanna make sure that you can blend in or actually func function in that that corporate ecosystem that that is crucial yeah 100 percent, and that's something that i think it has parallels to to personal protection as well with, with you know defending yourself is that it the chance of you actually being in a shootout or actually being in a car chase or actually being in a physical altercation are, are fairly slim it's it's how you manage the rest of your life that's going to dictate your safety it's how well you can blend in how well you can um understand other people and, and manage conflict and all those sort of skills. Uh, and certainly that was one of the things that uh, I took from my learnings in executive protection was, uh, it, it's, you know, I used to tell people when I was training them, it, if this job gets exciting, then you probably fucked it up. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it should never be exciting. <laughs> yes, and what I always like to say is, some of our brightest talents within AS don't have a military or law enforcement background. They're highly educated. They have a high level of emotional intelligence. But most importantly, we can teach the hard skills. We can teach people how to shoot, teach people how to drive, teach medical, combatives, use of force. We can um, you know, teach them security because that's a big thing too. Just because you know executive protection doesn't make you a security specialist. Uh, so it's two different things. So as, as much as we all love the hard skills, that is a lifestyle, just like Brian Ro Byron Rogers says, you know, this job is a lifestyle because it's up to us to maintain those hard skills. Uh, and then also too, once we've had that foundation to improve our intellectual skills, how are we gonna build our intellect, our learning, so we're not just always an agent, we can move to a project manager, we can become a CSO. Uh, or, or lateral over into different positions. So when I talk about CQV, it's like a sponge. The more water you put into it, the bigger it gets. Yeah, absolutely, man. And one, one thing that, that sort of drives me crazy and still working as a security consultant now, uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're Jason Bourne himself. It, if you are an embarrassment to the client, you're not going to last. <laughs> no one cares how well you can drive, how well you can shoot, how well you can fight if you're going to be an embarrassment in, the, in a boardroom. So it's, uh, <laughs> you, you need to protect their interests and their interest is their reputation and their ability to do business. Uh, and if you're, a, you're an interference in that, then you're just not gonna, you're not gonna keep that contract. Yeah, and it's, the biggest thing is, I hate to say like, if you wanna get in, you gotta fit in, but that is 100% in the corporate sector because you have to be able to fit in with the client's culture. You gotta be able to, blend in and work along with the team. So it's just not like the military or government sector where like, this is it, you know? Uh, the private sector is great because you're bringing all these different minds and ideas and personalities together. But bottom line is, is the principal wants you to feel, wants to feel comfortable around you. They're gonna feed off your energy. So I always tell guys to be cool like Fonzie, right? Because the principals can't feed off their energy. 
and two, be presentable because you're representing that company or that principal's brand. And that's the way you look, the way you conduct yourself, uh, the way you communicate with all their executives, their stakeholders, their family members, and, you know, potential business contact, contacts, especially if you're an advanced agent um, going out to a venue, you represent that client and that company. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about a topic that uh, I'm sure you, you have a lot to say about. And that, that is really the, uh, the misconceptions about executive protection or bodyguarding or close personal protection or whatever, whatever terminology you'd like, you'd like to use. But what is it that the general public thinks they know that is completely off base? Well, uh, earpieces and sunglasses. Uh, black and white suits. <laughs> yeah. So within AS Solution, I think I think one of our accounts out of all of our clients, guys are forced to wear a suit because they're in DC. Um, and misconception is is the biggest things right now is when people go to school, they think what they're learning in school is how it's going to be when you get to a team. What you learn, the school is the baseline. It's the, your, your fundamentals. Um, Another misconception too, let's break it down. This would be the easiest way to break it down. You got diplomatic protection, you got celebrity protection, and you got executive protection. Three completely different things. Diplomatic protection, secret service, state department, non-government agencies. Those types of teams can be very overt and that's what you learn in the school and that's the way they operate. When you go into celebrity protection, this misconception of, having a big you know, visual deterrent may work, but a lot of times those individuals are, are not trained in risk management, advanced work and, and making things work for them. That's why you see a lot of incidents on the celebrity side of things happening. So that big visual deterrent, you don't have to have you know, big muscles and big brawn, you just have to have a bigger brain and be smarter than the next guy. And then on executive protection, you know, that whole thing is you can have 120 executive protection details and they're, they're ran completely different. So that misconception of you need to be a Jason Bourne, um, I don't carry luggage, I'm gonna be wearing a suit and sunglasses and you know, I'm putting my hand out and holding my earpiece and telling people to stop, you know, is, is a big thing. The most crucial part is when I, I have corporate scenarios that I use in training, people are like, I'll just tell the client, no, it's too dangerous. I'm like, you're going to tell a billionaire no, that he can't do something? You're yeah, there to, yeah. you're, you're there to <laughs> facilitate. Yeah, you're there to facilitate his needs. And then we go, That's right. Best, best of luck around. with your future endeavors, brother. Yeah, he's, he's making $17,000 a second. So the second you tell him no and you can't resolve his issue, you're probably – not going to be around that much longer. So it's, 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 it's a thinking man game. And what I like to say is what I trademarked is you're not just executive protection or protection. You are a high speed administrative assistant. You're a problem solver. That's what you are. Yeah. That's to mitigate great. risk. That's, I, I like that. Yeah. High, high speed, <laughs> high speed <laughs> assistant. That's a hundred percent what it is because you, you're there to facilitate their business while keeping them safe. And, yeah, sometimes that's everything from booking travel to, to uh, you know, carrying the luggage to to make to making sure that they've got the right connections. I mean, ideally you can outsource that, but sometimes that's going to be you. One hundred percent. We just had a, a, a long time ago. I had a guy at the residence like, "Hey, you need to go pick up the principal's dry cleaning." He's like, "That's what I'm not here for." Hey, if the principal doesn't have to leave the house, you're mitigating risk. You're getting paid right now. And don't ever question me, like go out and get the laundry. You're getting paid either way. Go get the dry cleaning, man, you know, or washing the car. You know, it's, it's part of the job and it's part of the service component, which is the big misconception. And I'll end it with that is that is probably the biggest misconception is the service components of protection work, carrying luggage, Absolutely. maintaining vehicles, washing stuff, you know, taking care of yourself and just a little administrative stuff because you want to provide value while you're there. Absolutely. I think the ego is a, is a hard thing, uh, especially when people come into the industry new, is that assuming that, that they're a big deal because they're a quote unquote bodyguard. It's like, well, you know what? You're not that big a deal because the guy that you're protecting is the one that's paying to have the protection. <laughs> you, you, you're not paying for, to have helpers for yourself. 
So, <laughs> you know, he, he's a bigger deal than you, and you kind of need to uh, accept your place in the in the food chain and uh, and use whatever whatever you have available to you to mitigate those risks while keeping the client happy and facilitating their business. One hundred percent. And what we what we find is we'll have these guys coming out of the military, and then they'll go through a thirty day course or a fifty three day course, and they've been empowered and they understand you know protective operations, and they're like you know, hey man, I, I, I'm ready. You know, they come and do the interview and we're like, well, hey, you're probably gonna start off in, in residential protection. You're probably gonna either maybe, if you're lucky, start off as a driver. And they're going like, well, I don't wanna work residential. I wanna work protection. And I explain, I go, if we throw you in protection, you'll get ate up and swallowed up in a nanosecond. Working, starting off at a residence will allow you to understand how the client or the principal likes things done, how the client likes things done, who's who, how things operate on a daily basis, now your face is being shown, and then you can slowly graduate working your way up into a driving and a protection mode, because the farther, the higher you get up, the more problems you're going to have to solve, and if you don't know who's what or how things are done, you're going to sink and fell fast, so that's why I always tell guys, hey, be humble, work residential for a year, if you're that good you will move up um, into a driving position and then go into protection you gotta you gotta crawl before you walk before you can start running yeah absolutely i mean that's that's the same in every industry is this we uh sometimes with this industry people come in with a with a background and they assume that kind of uh lets them jump the queue a little bit but uh you know that's it's not how life works all the time unfortunately and like you say it's for your own good to be able to uh pay your dues and, and learn what you uh what you may not know you don't know yet so yeah. yeah, you don't know what you don't know. You just know what was taught to you and you think you're you're ready, but then when you get thrown the gambit, you're just it's it's a, a whole nother world. Absolutely. So you mentioned the different types of clients. Um probably probably the one that, that people are always intrigued about is is managing celebrities. Um from your experience, mm -hmm. obviously working you you've done both ends, you've done the diplomatic and you've and you've also done the uh the celebrity side. What what are the key differences you find when approaching a task like that? Uh, based on celebrity, you're probably a one-man show, uh, depending on the principle. I was thrown into a very unique situation where I was responsible for an A-less rock star whose wife was a talk show host and his kids are heavily involved in TV. So now it's, you got tours, then you got speaking engagements, and then you got producing television shows. So that right there, getting thrown in that gambit really helped me have a better, better understanding of when you do celebrity protection, there's three realms. You got, you know, your, your singers that go on tour. That's a whole, whole nother story. Then you have uh, A-list celebrities that are actors. And I've had an actor, I take pride in this, with that was a method actor. Uh, he, when we would go film for two or three months, he would never, he would never break out a character. I had to address him by his character name. I had to make sure I read the script to know what mood he was in. Because if I came in, came in the morning to pick him up and he's throwing stuff and yelling, going crazy, I'm like, what did I do? And then the makeup artist is like, oh, read page 68. And I'm like, oh. And then wow. <laughs> you go, then you go, yeah. Then you go into production. You go into production where you're actually, uh, basically overseeing uh, security on a, a television series in different locations. And you're not only responsible, you know, for the, the, the main actor, you're also re responsible for the safety and security and risk management of the production crew and the sound crew and, you know, making sure everyone's, uh, you know, abiding to make sure no one gets hurt on set because if they get hurt then we lose time lose time that loses money in production all that stuff so it's celebrity i think is is probably the tougher out of the three from diplomatic to executive protection because normally when you go diplomatic protection executive protection you have policies and procedures you have um sops and you have ttps you have everything to guide you but when you go into celebrity and you don't know them if you don't have the executive assistant telling you what type of water they like, how they like things set up and do's and don'ts, you're gonna learn the hard way. And I don't, 
I don't say there's any, you don't screw up or mess up in executive protection or close protection or celebrity protection. It's just a hard lesson learned. And once you make that hard lesson learned, it's like a, it, it's like stored mentally, you know, when you, you lose a luggage, right. Or, uh, you don't have the cars out of gas or whatever. Um, but I think the most challenging 100% is, is the celebrity side. And it really depends. Um, I tell, uh, agents to vet if you have the opportunity if you're a new guy just get your foot in the door but if you're a seasoned guy you got to vet your vet your your clients as they vet you and to make sure so on the celebrity side you may have a client that they're all about the nightlife so that means you're going to be pulling all nighters right all the time and if that's your lifestyle 100 percent then you have other clients that are nine to five and that's that, that that's an easy day yeah, that's a that's a really interesting. Yeah, getting to know your client and their routine. Uh, one of the the first jobs that uh, I was brought in on as a as a very young um, you know, close protection was was for a, a celebrity uh, who was on tour. And what happens here in Australia is that is that often they uh, stand down their their normal teams because it's a low risk location, and they they grab locals to to jump in and do a lot of the legwork. Um, so. Uh, without divulging who, who this was, but uh, we had uh, two people assigned to, to protecting uh, this singer and uh, quickly had to add people to the team because we just couldn't keep up with her schedule. <laughs> I mean, she, was, she was up at 4 a.m. every morning to go to the gym for a couple of hours, and then it was back to the hotel, breakfast, and then radio interviews for breakfast radio, and then it was off to a meet and greet with fans, and then it was a sound check, and then it was back to the hotel, another workout uh, or a run, and uh, as you know, if, if your client's running, you're also running, uh, and then uh, <laughs> and then back to the back to the the venue for you know getting everything ready for the performance, and then out drinking until you know, midnight, one a.m., and then back home for three hours sleep, and get up and do it again the next morning. And we're like, man, how does she keep up with this? And we we had to put more people in the detail because we just couldn't keep up. <laughs> we had, we had to tag out. It's uh, it's a life like I said, it it is a lifestyle. Uh, you have these people at high levels that they their performance or their 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 mindset and the way they do things can where you at in a nine uh, a nanosecond and you're absolutely right just keeping up with the tempo with uh, when you have just like that you have certain celebrities that love to party and and they just keep going and going and going. I've had times where. I've, I've told drivers, I'm like, go sleep in the back. He's like, I can't. I go, I can't replace you. We're going on 18 hours right now. And you need to drive us back. So go get some sleep. I'll cover you, you know, because I know they're going to be in there for a while. So troop welfare, when you, you're uh, dealt with that type of situation, is crucial. Because everyone wants to be professionals. But when they're in mega party mode, you got to make sure that all your guys are going to be on point and, get food, get rest, make sure your drivers are taken care of. And uh, which is, which is crucial. I can't, I can't stress enough on troop welfare when you're, you're running the detail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Eat when you can sleep when you can, because you, you, you never know what's coming next all the time. And I think that's probably one of the other things for me that was, it was challenging about celebrities was that the, uh, the agenda can change on the fly. Like it, you can suddenly, receive word oh we're going out to this particular club because they've been invited to an after party and we've got no idea where the place is we have no idea how secure it is we, have, we haven't done any advanced work on it now we've got to send someone out there 10 minutes and 10 minutes ahead of us to try and get a feel for the place uh, yeah it's and, and like <laughs> you could have thought you're uh, you were half an hour away from clocking off for the night and, and now you're going to be going for another six hours yeah when that principal gets that second wind and that's where um, being able to um, handle or conduct hasty advances on the fly. So if you're a one or two and you can't get away and they're like, hey, we're heading to this club, I'm immediately trying to find a point of contact to contact that club immediately to see if there's a security manager or someone on site that can guide us in because we're going in blind. So it's like, is there anyone there that can, you know, meet us at the doors or a back entrance? Can they lead us to the table that we need to be? And that is one thing with celebrity protection, even executive protection, where you have to ask for the world. You have to be humble and communicate and, and see what options. But a lot of people are like, well, having a, you know, the butler or a busboy or a valet guy, that's not security. I go, no, but it's guidance. 
they know where we need to go. You know, they're, it, it, it's their venue. It's their, their house. We, we don't have any idea what the layout is. At least we can have someone guide us. So we're not running around blind with our principal and getting them, you know, upset because we're walking in circles. And it's, and that's the big difference between us seeing a lot of guys uh, that come from the secret service and the government sector. They're so used to flashing their badge and getting them what they want. They have completely lost all their communication skills and don't know how to converse and impliedly ask for things. And, and um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people in, in uh, you know, whatever context that usually if you want to know how something works, or you want to know how a venue works or where things are, you ask the cleaners uh, because no, they're not used to being treated as important. They're not used to being treated with respect generally, but they know everything. They know where everything is. They know who, who everybody is. They know <laughs> they can get you access to just about anywhere. Uh, and uh, they'll usually give you the time of day, whereas your, your venue manager or your uh, hotel manager may not. And have cash on hand, 100%, because you got to dish out those tips in America to, to make things moving, <laughs> especially at, yeah, at clubs absolutely. or venues. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned advanced work. I think that's probably a really good topic to talk about, just from a, a general crossover to, uh, to, to looking after yourself or looking after your family as well, um, for the, even for those that, that have no interest in, in protecting other people. Uh, what, can you sort of run through what your basic principles of advanced work are, what that is, and, and, and how you go about conducting a thorough advance? Ooh, all right. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's a lot. Um, so, you know, basically there, there's two. There's your advanced assessment and there's, there's your advanced plan. So my, uh, my basic template, you know, basically prior to arrival, find out who the site manager or the point of contact is for the venue. Second, upon arrival, contact that site manager uh, involved with the visit. Identify, then you can identify primary alternate entrance accesses to locations. Uh, then you're gonna identify primary and alternate entrance for departure areas. Uh, you're gonna identify setup for barricades, uh, you know, You got me there? Sorry, I lost you there. You got me, Joe? All right, I've got you back. Okay, sorry, here, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, cool. I'll restart on that last one. I, I, had, a, I had a call coming in, I apologize. Uh, no problem. Um, so I'll just rest, I'll, I'll restart here. Sure. Um, you're gonna uh, identify primary and alternate entrance for departure areas. You're gonna set up barricades, traffic cones, if permitted, uh, you're going to identify parking areas for a motorcade, potentially identify location for the advance or stash car, uh, check locations for foot, foot route that the principal could potentially use. Uh, you know, then you're going to identify, you know, lo uh, locating the restrooms, identifying possible safe havens or private uh, room or the, for VIP use and confirm access to landlines landline phone and verify that you have cell service. That's a big thing. A lot of times you get in these venues, you don't have cell service, especially for stadiums, concert areas, all, all that stuff. So you gotta make sure you have access to that landline. Uh, then, you know, identify nearest fire exits uh, and equipment. Uh, are there keys to, the, uh, to all doors and elevators? Who, who has control access to the elevators? Then uh, check the security of the ven venue. Um, are there additional security personnel? If so, how many? Is there local law enforcement on site? Are they able to assist on location? Uh, you know, venue security radio channels or spare venue radios to monitor traffic or relay critical information. Uh, identify a number of agents to allow, uh, identify the number of agents um, you can allow to enter on site and access control. So a lot of times at venues, if you have a big team, it doesn't mean all of them are gonna get in because it depends on the meeting, the venue and what's going on. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, identify, uh, let's see, access to the site, who, who's required badges, what type of badges, and is there enough badges to accommodate everyone on your team, your clients, your staff, then uh, I could potentially coordinate with other protective details that are doing advances on site if there's multiple teams and other VIPs going in, sharing information, they may know stuff that um, you don't, they may have a better, better protective intelligence or a guy that's been on the ground longer for the advance to, to help relay information. Um, 
Then you're going to identify, you know, your primary and alternate uh, motorcade routes and to include travel time of the times that you're actually on the road. A lot of guys will do uh, uh, advances on, for uh, advanced routes, but they're advancing on, on times that there's no traffic or it's late at night. So we don't have an accurate, you know, time stamp on, on those movements. Uh, obviously, identify the nearest hospitals, routes, travel times, and phone numbers, nearest police stations, travel routes, travel time, phone numbers. Then, uh, depending on the venue, uh, we may have uh, local or federal law enforcement doing EOD suites. If it's a uh, tech tech base, we uh, may have uh, uh, technical security countermeasure suites uh, in, in locking it in. Uh, if there's a, a green room, sorry to carry on, but you, you got stuff from, you know, dining, dining at the venue, meals, um, you know, seating arrangements, if there are seating, seating there, and then a complete name of, um, complete name checks on personnel. So depending on certain venues, you know, we all have to submit all of our information that, in that shared to make sure that we can cross check that, that there's no uh, POIs, persons of interest, or stalkers, and stuff like that on site. Um, uh, identify any other security requirements. You know, is there press? How many people will be at the site? Um, then we go, how long is the principal going to remain? Uh, and then changes to any uh, threat with the briefing from people on site. And then is the site secure? Meaning that what is the level of security that they're providing at the site? If it's spot on, then we don't have to worry about it. But if you see, uh, you know, their lack of security awareness and access control, you're probably going to have to ask for additional support to support you um, on that venue. And if you need a stash car. So that's just your assessment. Then you're going to go into advanced planning, which is, you know, your addresses, your GPS, your pin drop locations, um, making a physical survey of the area, identifying danger areas of the venue, overheads. Uh, depend on where the principal's sitting, identify your point of contact at the site on the time. Because what, what happens is you'll go to a venue, do an advance, and that site manager is not working the venue that day. So you got to make sure who's working that, that venue. You get that introduction, you build that relationship. Uh, establish who will be allowed access to the site and how many people in total for the event. Coordinate with other security on site, identifying primary and alternate routes for vehicular and foot routes to and from. It could be the green room, the table, every conceivable movement that that principal could make. You got to have those down. Then you start going into parking staging, plan for your vehicles. For route analysis, you're going to be identifying choke points along the route. Um, obviously, all your, your police fire stations. Uh, then you're going to identify your, all your avenues um, of approach to the site, including entrances and avenues of approach for your arrivals and departures. Identify locations for observation, uh, security observation posts and security posts and number of security personnel. So on some stadiums, you have law enforcement and they'll have a crow's nest. Let's say you're at a, a football stadium or, uh, you know, if you're, your client's on stage, there'll be a staging area where law enforcement will hang out. Uh, and just stage. Then, then you got your identifying um, primary and alternate foot emergency evacuation routes. So th that's when you go to routine to emergency. Depending on where you're at at that time, what is your E&E process to the nearest uh, safe room? Uh, then, uh, what else? Uh, you know, the, the green rooms, if, if your client has a green room, you gotta have to know the in and outs of that green room, is that green room set up? And then you got all your locations in their safe haven, time on site, abort uh, criteria, weather conditions, uh, then you gotta review all the personals of interest, uh, POIs, or be on the lookout, your bolos. Then you get all your protective intelligence brief that is done separately from your advance, and then you get it updated for your team. So that's kind of, uh, uh, in a vast advanced assessment and and, so, and planning, man. Sorry. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is, there's more to it than uh, than having a nice uh, having a nice ride uppercut and uh, and uh, be able to push through a crowd. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, pretty much. So, it, you know, it's I still have a checklist. I, 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 you know, actually, I'm coming on 15 years in this business, and I still revert to a checklist. 
you know, just because you've been doing it for so long, because each venue, you know, differs, you know, and it's, I, I have a, a full, a full different checklist for just doing um, stadium advances uh, for uh, my, my client that's, that's on tour, right? That's, so there's, you know, so I try to bring the best of all worlds of, hey, what would the Secret Service do? What would the State Department do? What would a corporate intelligence or a corporate EP team with more budget than the government would do on the protective intelligence side? And then, hey, what are the little micros in the macros on celebrity protection that we need to identify? And it's, if you go on tour and you have, you know, they're... When they build a stage, sometimes in Latin America or Southeast Asia, they're not up to the same codes and standards as they are in the U.S. So how do you identify compliance for your, your principal who's going to be on stage and making sure that overhead lighting doesn't collapse because they try load a carabiner or they don't, uh, you know, lock that stuff done. So risk management is, you know, it just keeps growing and growing from every aspect depending on what's within the ability of your control. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something that um, we've seen it before with you. We've had artists that invite fans on stage and you have, uh, suddenly you have 200 people jumping up and down on the stage that probably wasn't fit to hold three people and, uh, and the thing <laughs> collapses, you know, and uh, well, you've got, you've got a, a grandstand collapse and well, now, now how do you evacuate your, your principal? How does that function? Like, well, what's your SOP there? Um, or you know, like, like what happened in Manchester a couple of years ago where yep. a terror attack happens during a performance. I'm sure that probably wasn't given a lot of attention from the, for the EP detail, the, the celebrity protection detail about what do we do if there's a terrorist attack tonight? Um, you know, how does that impact our, do we shelter in place? Do we evacuate? Can we evacuate? Are roads going to be locked down? Um, all those sorts of questions. It's, You've really got to be able to, you got to have some sort of blueprint before it happens because be able to think critically in the moment is going to be very challenging. Yes, and, and another thing too is, is protecting the brand of, of the client. So if you have a client on stage and let's say that, that or sorry, principal, uh, your principal has a full-blown heart attack on stage while 1.2 million people are watching globally live. What is the contingency plan? You know, and that was always my biggest fear uh, is, you know, hey, you have all these people that adore this individual and now they're going to see him potentially have a heart attack and die on that on TV. So putting the planning in place of these stadiums, I'm like, hey, if I call this code, I get with all the, um, the static guys, right? All, all the big guys that line the stage. It's just like, hey, if this goes down, you hear this code, everyone gets on the stage and just creates a wall. You hit command post, tell cameras to go to commercial and there was never that procedure for that so now we can create a wall so people with uh, cell phones and film while we we go to work on, on the principal and get them transported because a lot of people don't know that some of these stadiums the EMTs are not allowed to be on 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 the ground floor they have to stage in the office or they're staged primarily for the attendees so when I ask them like hey can I get an EMT on the floor, like, nope, we can't do that. That's X, Y, and Z. So, you know, if that happens to ensure that one of your guys on the team or we have AED, all that stuff with us in hand on stage to immediately go to work on that principle, God forbid something is going to happen. Because when you look at statistically globally around the world, just in the corporate sector, when we pulled all the incidents, we deal with medical emergencies on a daily basis in executive protection. So we, we can call it eight-minute medicine on, hey, what do I need to do to stabilize my principal until first responders get here? Or understand your assessment like, hey, we're an hour out, two hours out because we're in a safari in Africa and we're looking at lions and something happens. You know, now we've got to get on sat phones. Can we, can we hel get a helicopter in here or how far is the drive, nearest hospital, et cetera? So it's always that contingency planning and saying, what if, what if, what if? Yeah, uh, and to be to be honest, man, that's actually what I find exciting. <laughs> I, I move, I move, I moved past the uh, the hard skills excitement a little while ago, but now now it's the uh, trying to be ahead of the game and trying to be ahead of the what ifs is is kind of what what keeps me going now because the uh, it, what I tell people is that the threat continues to evolve, and if you stay static, you're just going to fall further behind. I mean, the the threat 
is always ahead of us because we we can only defend against the threats that we we know exist. And we often don't know they exist until they happen. So uh, we're we're always playing catch up. And if you refuse to uh, continue to grow, you just get further and further behind the you know, the potential threat. So it's uh, yeah, it's like I say it's 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 a chess it's a chess match. We always want to be a lot of people look at it as a checkers like oh i'm always one step we got to be seven steps ahead of the game yeah yeah that's right and and, and hopefully to the left of the game as well <laughs> yeah not, not just ahead but <laughs> offline <laughs> so yeah that's right yeah, actually uh, i was just talking to uh patrick van horn just uh uh just a couple of days ago happy to get him on the show soon so uh yeah man um look i think uh you mentioned before with uh, with knowing your local security and, and something obviously those of us in the game talk about a lot is, is defense in depth and having different layers of defense between you and you know, whatever you're protecting, whether it's an asset or a principal. Um, just recently, there was a, an incident here in Australia with uh, Elton John. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it made any news anywhere else, but he uh, he went on a public tirade on stage about the venue security because they... Uh, ejected a female uh, who had tried to force her way on stage and uh, the venue security dragged her out and it caused a little bit of a scene. And he went on a tirade against the security and called them all uh, a pack of uh, effing idiots and uh, dropped some C-bombs and uh, basically abused the security staff. Um, and uh, as uh, luck would have it, a couple, of, a couple of shows later, someone did invade the stage and, uh, and got contact with Elton. Uh, and uh, the security didn't stop them. So I think sometimes you have to be careful about clients you know, making their own beds that uh, may come back to haunt them. Uh, I think uh, when, you've got, when you're dealing with people that are, that are controlling the crowd that may not have the same level of professionalism as, as you do, uh, you have to factor in those sort of risks. Yes, yeah, so I would... So I... I, I know the guys in that realm with that principle so i can't uh i know there's been some changes but that comes down to your 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 head of security right so whoever his if you want to call it aic detail lead whoever um he may be a new guy that was just attached and did not know that that was wrong but for someone that's been with the principal and been on tour I always try to get what we call, we call them like the white shirts or the, the line crew, all the guys. And I go, Hey, is, is it possible to get, you know, three minutes with these guys so I can give them a brief, no difference than when I brief law enforcement on our procedures, you know, you got to have communication is key. And if, if you're running his detail, you got to know the do's and don'ts of the principal. And then once again, protecting that brand, you know, so now he had a tyrant and that's affecting his brand. But talking to those guys and say, hey, you know, situation dictates. If it's a big, crazy guy, blah, blah, blah. If it's a female, hey, we may. Or don't toss her out or, you know, hey, let's handle this with white gloves. There's, you know, there's, you know, and we know that principals can flip-flop. They can do not want autographs or nothing one minute. And then when you stop them, they flip out and they're like, I, you know, these are my fans. I need to. And they put on a big show. I need to, you know, get pictures with them. So it's 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 a tough business. And you just yeah, gotta be able it, to it is. Uh, think on your feet. <laughs> Absolutely it is, man. And and I, and I think probably the uh when you come into this industry with a, a purely security perspective, I mean if if you're dealing with a celebrity or recording artist, when they're on tour, their job is to be visible and and to, to actually make contact with fans and to and to drive you know drive sales by by being likable and, and increasing that engagement and that that uh, you know that relationship with their with the public and that's the exact opposite of what you want to do to protect somebody like if you want to protect someone you keep them locked down not visible <laughs> yeah under the radar and that's that's the exact opposite of what they need to do business uh, so you've always got to try and find that middle ground yeah and you know there's there's times where you know i was actually you know here in vegas going through the catacombs because there's in some of these casinos there's miles and miles of catacombs you get lost so i'm running routes routes what's the fastest routes how do we time it how do we get them from a to b and you know probably spend a few hours working with casino security uh and get everything done so i'm like i think we got it all mapped out and then right when we leave they're like no we need to be seen in public uh we'll just walk to the casino and I, I, I didn't prepare myself for that. I'm like, yeah. oh, man. No, I was just yeah. so focused on this because this is our routine. 
now I'm like, yeah. I don't even know where we're going. So I'm getting on the radio. Like if, if you ever get a chance to come out to Vegas and, and you're with the principal, some of the conceded security out here are just awesome. So, you know, you know, I'm texting the, the security manager. I'm like, Mike, 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 eye in the sky, I'm moving. And I would raise my hand and make a fist while we're walking and the eye in the sky would pick that up and they would radio uh, what they would call their purple coats, like if you were at the wind and they will converge on you. So long as you pre-plan a lot of that stuff, I didn't have that in plan, but I had Mike said, hey, we're moving. I'm fisting the air, walking out here. They picked it up and they dispatched some uniform officers to basically help guide us to where we need to go. And they were, they were good. They, they kept their distance so people can take pictures and whatever. So it's, that was, you know, regardless of the business, sometimes you get hyper-focused on one thing and then it gets flipped on its head, you know, a second later. Yeah, and like you say, so much of what we're doing is is protecting reputation. And uh, sometimes you you have clients who uh, yeah, that that's a full time job is just trying to keep them keep them off the front page, yeah, or, or <laughs> just keep them in, keep them on the in the right pages, I guess. Uh, you know, maybe, especially if you've got a client that's got issues with you know with their mental health or whether it's a you know a substance issue, trying to control that and babysit that and making sure that you know they're they're not gonna end up uh, on the wrong section of the tabloids is, is a, is a job in itself. It's, it's for some, some people you're, you're protecting them from themselves. And if you're not privy to certain information and they're about to go off the rail, um, you know, good or bad, you still have to be in a position to protect them from their, you know, their, their best interests. And it, it, when I say, Hey, when you're walking in a formation, like situational awareness, what does that mean? Well, I'm looking at people, places and things. Right. So I'm looking at people. Do they belong there? What are they wearing? What is their demeanor? What is their positioning? Are they fixated on someone? Is someone they're fixating on? Is that their partner in crime or someone they're looking at as a target? Uh, you know, they're, they're clothing, their backpacks. Why do they have it? What are their hands doing? And then we go over to things. Are, are, is there any tripping hazards? You know, are they going to step off? You know, they're, they're too busy, you know, looking and are they going to step down the step and, and you know, nose dive? And in places, where are we going if something happens? Where, where, where's the, the, the next avenue of escape or safe haven I can pull them into? And that's my constant processing when we're, when we're walking. Doesn't matter if we're in, the, you know, the Medina Market or downtown Bogota fashion show mall in Las Vegas, Nevada, or you know Fifth Avenue. You're always processing people, places, and things, and I, I kind of break them down on that. And the key thing is that most likely your biggest threat is in tripping, falling, or hurting themselves, or just walking out in traffic because they're just so fixated. Because I think a lot of times principals have so many people doing so, so many things for them, they become forgetful because they don't have to really remember um, to, you know, oh, hey, like, you know, oh, where, where's my iPad? Where's my bag? Well, that's already expected that someone in, in the entourage or someone, uh, you know, in the detail automatically has, has it because their brain power needs to be focused on performing, needs to be focused on, on building the next biggest app in the tech country or in the country, right? So that's one of the things that I've observed over the years when you're, you're dealing with principles at a, at a high level. Absolutely. I think that's really a good segue into um, just talking a little bit about the, the lessons that executive protection can teach for regular people, whether it be someone protecting themselves oh. or whether, whether we have, uh, you know, you're, you're out with your family and you're, you, know, you, you want to take on a role of protecting them. Uh, I know you've done a little bit of work uh, outside of AS Solution with um, in preparedness and, and training regular people for being ready for worst case scenarios. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, about the, the lessons people can take from how, how we do this job into regular life? 100%. So I have uh, another company called Zert. If you go to YouTube uh, and click in Coffee and Hate, I can't remember what season is. I think I have six seasons, but I did one full season of Coffee and Hate called Executive Protection Dad. And it says, how do you apply the tips and techniques that we use to protect diplomats, A-list celebrities, and you know Fortune 500 CEOs into your daily lives? And it 100% converts converges over so if i i think i have like 12 videos and i, I talk about you know motorcades protective intelligence 
uh, situational awareness, surveillance, uh, pre-attack pre indicators, uh, down to, uh, you know, kit loadout, uh, E&E stuff. All the series will, will go everything from survival to executive protection dad. And, you know, you could run, you can run your family like a protection detail. And in that series, or when I speak at some of these um, uh, conventions, I say, hey, when, when you're planning a trip to Disneyland or some type of theme park, that's a detail. How much protective intelligence can you pull offline of the park and have that stuff mapped out so when you, when you hit the ground running, you know where to go? You have a primary and alternate route on the way to that, um, that theme park. What, where's the nearest gas stations? Are you going to run out of gas? Do you, is there hospitals in between? Where are you guys going to eat? How do you prep your vehicle? Um, you know, the biggest thing I see is the family piles in, they pile this luggage in the back and they take off. God forbid they roll that vehicle, that luggage is going to toss around inside that vehicle and do severe damage to everyone inside. So get some uh, bungee cord or shock cord webbing. So when you put your luggage in, you're, you're uh, in the back of like a suburban or an SUV that you're, you're locking that, that stuff down. You know, if you get a flat tire, are you going to have to remove all the luggage out of the back just to get to the jack and tire to get your car up? So there's so many things that translate from the protection world into civilian life for, for you know, families. When, when the dad, mom, when they're walking with a child, I call it, there's two ways in. There's eyes inside out and eyes outside in. So if we're at Disneyland and you have the mom close to her kids, she's in the AIC position, right? So she's behind them and she's, she has them in front of them and she's controlling them. But she's the eyes in the inside of the bubble looking out. Whereas the dad can be hanging back and do like the, the, the detail leads position. So now he's eyes from the outside looking into the detail. And now they have optimal coverage uh, and, and security awareness and self-awareness when walking in a park. Yeah, that's amazing, man. There's there's so much, and uh, I'm, I actually didn't know you had that video series, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna end up pulling that up, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, I uh, I'll definitely be watching that over the Christmas break. I'll uh, I'll nerd out on that because uh, I'm all about that stuff. Yeah, it, um, I'll I'll try to email to make sure you got the the right season. But like the first season, you know, I'll go over, you know, urban sear where. You know, when I, you know, operated in, in, you know, from Pakistan to the Middle East, I would, or when I travel, doesn't matter if I'm in, you know, Eastern Europe or, or South America or Central America, like I have pants that I had mama song, so in, internal pockets. So I have a copy of my passport in a plastic bag. I have stash cash. So all my stuff's on the inside of my pockets, handcuff keys, razor wires, all this stuff's on the inside of my pants. So in third world countries, um, you know, if something does happen, everything's internal. So there's little little tips um, going out there because, you know, the world's a dangerous place and you know, a lot of Europeans and including um, people from Australia love to travel around the world and get themselves caught up in some severe situations. And if they just had a little bit of more knowledge, they could have probably been a little bit more proactive to uh, help them get through that, that particular uh, deadly encounter or natural disaster incident. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've talked about a little bit on the show about uh, about just being a slightly harder target than somebody else. I mean, it, all you have to do is just be a little bit more aware and you're suddenly not the most attractive target on the street anymore. Uh, and uh, most of the time when, when people get themselves into bad situations overseas, it's not because they were unlucky. It's because uh, someone was scouting the area and decided that you were the best risk for reward target. And uh, if you can increase that risk or decrease that, that perceived reward, then you know, chances are it's not going to visit you. It's going to go somewhere else. So uh, it's, uh, and all you say, it's, it's, it's about that situational awareness. It's you know, having some risk intelligence. Yeah, just put down the phone. Like if, if you go to a mall or a, a town square, or town century, whatever you guys want to call it, and you just like put down the phone and sit there and just absorb the environment, you know, you can, you'll start picking up things like, oh, those kids are up to no good. They're, you know, probably shoplifting or they're going to go pants their friend over here, right? Like you can start picking up on those pre, pre-indicators on behavior of certain people because we're, you know, we all, um, well, if you take, like going to the Middle East, they don't, they don't have poker faces. Like if they're mad or something's going to go wrong, like they intently show it. 
but still to this day when you watch you know combat footage of these soldiers encounter it's like there was like five signs indicating that that person was probably going to come up and cook themselves off but maybe those soldiers didn't have the training maybe they did or maybe their awareness was distracted because they're thinking about hunting they're hungry, they don't want to be there, or they're smoking, joking with their buddy, or they're focused on something else, right? Um, and there's, you know, that's always prey versus predator, right? The predator's always situational aware, seeing who's potential prey. But there's a term too, where it's called predator uh, seeks predator, um, where if your, you know, emo- uh, situational awareness is at its peak, and you make direct eye contact with that predator, you know, now you're not predator prey, you're predator predator. And you're like, Hey, I'm onto what you're doing. And you can start positioning yourself or, or making a move. Um, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people leave out. Just if even someone's more dominant on someone and they recognize and make eye contact, you know, they just lost the edge and they're going to either have to, you know, rework that attack or, you know, basically just wave it off. Yeah, uh, and I think probably uh, probably the other the other piece that I that I mentioned quite a bit uh, when it when it comes to lessons learned from from security and uh, executive protection is the the concept of risk assessment and threat assessment and being able to apply that to yourself. Uh, and I think that's we we it's it's sexy to to go do a bunch of combatives or to um, yeah, to, to practice your your shooting skills or whatever to to try and feel like you're safer, but. You know what? If you're a male and you're under forty, you're, the biggest risk to your safety is that you're going to one either kill yourself or you're going to end up in a car accident. So if you haven't done advanced driving training, <laughs> then you're actually you're neglecting that that threat. And if you're not proactively managing your mental health by making sure you're in a good environment, you don't drink too much, you're you're, you're otherwise physically healthy, uh, and you you have some emotional intelligence, then you're you you're neglecting that risk. Chances are you're not going to be murdered before one of those other two things happens. Um, I, I look at it with my family. I mean, I've got, I've got four kids all under the age of seven. So I know the biggest risk to my kids is not necessarily abduction. It's the biggest risk to them is drowning or being in a car accident. So I make sure that the child restraints are, are, are proper. I make sure that all my kids can swim. Um, I know I'm heading into a different age bracket now where my, my biggest risk to, you know, uh, statistically the biggest risk to me is you know, heart failure. So I need to make sure that I'm actually doing some cardio. So these yeah. are the things, that's my actual threat profile, not my perceived threat profile. Um, and I think people just need to have a look. We do this with clients. Like we look at a client and go, what's likely to happen to you? Uh, so, and we mitigate that first, not necessarily the, all the, all the sexy, uh, you know, extravagant possibilities. Well, the, the key thing is I tell people is, you know, being a protector, you have to have the means, the well, you have to deny the attacker or threat the means, the ability, and the intent. But in return, you must possess the means, ability, intent to deny that attacker. And the biggest thing is, is create a plan and stick with it, rehearse it. A lot of people in the United States say like, hey, we're, we're preppers. And I, I know you, you guys over there in Australia as well, um, is if you're at work and let's say the zombie apocalypse kicks off, right? And you're at work. What is your plan? Hey, my kid's at school. I got to get to the school to get to my kid to get to home. What if communications are down? What is, what is your, your contingency plan, your non-com plan with your spouse going? Thing goes, you, your priority is to get to the house. I'm going to get to school to get the kid. And then we're going to rally up at the house and hold up there. And people don't have that plan. But then let's say you get in the car to get to your your child's school and you get gridlocked. Now you got to go on foot. What do you have in your car that you're going to throw on your body that's going to get you, that's going to allow you to get to that, the school. And let's say you're hung up in school for another 48 hours before you can move to sustain you from, you know, food, shelter, water, and security. And it's those minimal things. People that live in LA and San Francisco, there could be an earthquake and you could be chopped on the 405 freeway for days. You know, what do you have in your car that's going to sustain you? And those are, those are the little macro points. And a lot of people go, oh, I got a kit in my car. Well, you never opened it up. Do you know how to use everything in there? And do you inventory it to make sure that nothing's expired? Yeah, man, is, I know so many people that 
go out and they, they buy a, an amazing trauma kit and have absolutely zero idea what to do with it. And like, well, it's, it's all you've got now is some good kindling, maybe. <laughs> like, you know, that's, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know what to do with the bandages, then the bandages are no good for nothing. You know, you need, it's, it, the, buying stuff is not a solution. It's, it's buying stuff and knowing what to do with it. And uh, uh, I, I look at some preppers and uh, I, I, I empathize and I, to some extent, share the, the mentality of, of being ready for anything. But now I look at some, some preppers, I'm like, you've got four years worth of food stored downstairs, but you can't run to the letterbox. Or you, you, you're, not, you're not strong enough to pull yourself up on a, over a fence. Uh, you, you, you kind of you're neglecting some fundamentals here. <laughs> it's it's great to be prepared, but you need to be prepared on multiple levels because the the risk isn't always going to be uh, armed insurgents coming after you. The the risk might be that uh, you need to evacuate a burning building. No, one hundred percent. And there's some, you know, I was talking to a gentleman a while back, and he was like, you know, what what type of plate carrier? you know, should I get and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, if your only mode of transportation is a motorcycle, you should probably invest in a truck or something. Um, you know, cause they're, 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 they're focused on the wrong thing. And, you know, as far as medical go, you know, when we talk about being the first responder, like we have first responders, right? Technically civilians are the first responders cause they're on site. It takes EMS and law enforcement X amount to get there. Right. So if you don't do combatives, you don't do anything else, but you have basic medical training, you can be more of an asset to your community in that situation um, than a liability, not knowing. And your basic med kit, you know, your, your kit should be based off the level of training you have. And if you're wanting to buy more stuff, we'll seek more training so you know how to use that kit. Uh, and it's just, you know, like, you know, October 1 here in Las Vegas. So, you know, there was a lot of, you know, former military guys that knew how to uh, provide or, um, or implement improvised tourniquets on victims. You know, that was yeah, yeah. a piece so, of knowledge. They're tearing up shirts. They're using their belts. Absolutely. Same with uh, Boston, yeah, with the Boston Marathon bombings. Uh, I remember reading yeah. there, was, there was quite a bit of, uh, because the, uh, the TCCC training had sort of rolled out and there was actually more overall awareness of uh, the ability to, uh, to be able to, I guess do that, that as you said, the, that eight minute medical, you know, can you keep someone alive until you know, proper help arrives? And it should be in schools. So they teach kids how to do the Heimlich maneuver, teach them how to, you know, stop the bleeding and start the breathing. It's, it, you know, it's traumatic, but it's, it's the life that we're living in right now. And, Absolutely, you know, we can't, we can't ignore it. Yeah. I mean, here in Australia, I mean, we're, it's very much a, a coastal culture and every, every kid learns how to swim. Uh, and yet we don't have first aid training as, as a mandatory, which to me is crazy. I mean, if you're going to be teaching kids how to swim, then everyone should know how to do CPR. Uh, it, it makes all sense in the world to me, and yet it does, it's not the case. Um, uh, I think the, there's things where we address the, in, in the wrong priority because it's, it doesn't make for good television. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, all those skills are essential. And, and I, I know we're, we're coming up on time, and uh, I want to give you a chance to plug what yep. you do. So. Uh, if you want to, uh, I know you've got a, I know you've got an admin bag, which looks pretty cool. I know you've got some other products and stuff. So here's, here's a couple of minutes to you to drive some sales your way, brother. I appreciate it. So if you go to desertnation.com, I have a bunch of products. One is called the executive protection admin bag that after 10 years of using the same bag that wasn't working, um, I basically dove in, designed my own bag that works for practitioners that are solo practitioners, team practitioners, but it's so versatile. You can use it for a go bag, a survival bag, uh, a med bag, an EP bag. I have some agencies out there that are uh, teening it. You can run uh, you know, HKMP5K, HKMP7 out of it. It has a lining for ballistic plates. I have plasma batter bags. So I'm trying to think outside the box, I will be coming out with a um, new ankle trauma kit that works with skinny jeans. So um, since that's a new era we're going to, we can't have a big bulky med kit on our ankle. And I think it, that would be for, for daily use for anyone. So that's kind of my passion is to start creating new things that, that work for us. Cause a lot of times there's some thought put into it, but it's just kind of too tactical, which would make us stick out for some people that want to stick out as a, a tactical guy. Uh, and then basically if you go to my YouTube channel, there's probably over 900 videos on tips and techniques from survival to shooting to, to medical. 
you name it. So uh, if you guys are and gals that are in the security industry or security professional, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I have um, pretty much almost uh, connected with almost 22,000 security professionals, you know, globally. And I'm very active on the security side on that. Uh, And other than that, you know, on on the website, I'll be posting stuff up. I do have a series called Truth About Executive Protection, which I give 60-second tidbits on the truths about EP, just like we talked about today, so I can basically help relay information to new practitioners. Because as we say, a, a rising tide lifts all ships. So I'm here to help better the industry one video at a time. That's amazing, man. Thank you so much for giving up your time this morning. It's hey, no. to see it this evening for you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, I'm sure we, we got so much information out of that. I'm sure people are going to be taking notes and listening to this three or four times over to to grab all the information that you dropped. So I appreciate you very much uh, sharing that with our listeners. Okay. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks very much, Aaron. We'll talk again soon. All right. You got it. Thanks once again to Aaron Molden from AS Solution and Zert for making the time to talk to us here on the podcast. As you, as I mentioned, there was a ton of information there. Uh, I'm going to include some links uh, to some of the stuff that Aaron talked about in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. Don't forget to check us out on our social media, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, on Instagram, uh, and uh, and everywhere else. And if you'd like to support the show, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash managingviolence. Sign up to be a contributor, get a shout out on the show, whole bunch of other perks, depending on what level you sign up at. Uh, but uh, we're going to have some big news coming for the next episode. And I will let you know the next episode is the return of the one and only Mr. Tony Blower. Tony will be back on talking about uh, passion and uh, talking about simulation training or scenario training and uh, and his evolution in that area. So that, that'll be a fantastic episode that'll be dropping very, very soon. Uh, and uh, look, uh, I hope you guys have had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. You're ready and fired up for a great 2020. I know I am. And uh, I'll talk to you again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Managing Violence Podcast. For more information or to listen to previous episodes, please check out www.josaunders.com.au or visit us on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Don't forget to rate and subscribe so you never miss a show.